Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased you've been able to join us. God has brought each of us together to be a family. And we've come from different parts of the world. We've come from different original languages, English. For many of you here right now, it's not your mother tongue. It's not your heart language. For some of you, you're bilingual, trilingual. Uh, For some of us, you're not even lingual. Do you remember in primary school when it came time to choose sporting teams, there was a process of nominating captains and then the captains would take turns to select players. That process of not being selected but being attached to the end of the team out of obligation was tough. Being rejected as a dance partner, a sporting team player, a life partner or a candidate for promotion just hurts. When we put ourselves out there for selection, we take a risk and there is a very real chance we'll be rejected. But taking risks has its benefits. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his five-part series titled The Risk Series. Let's join him now for the third episode with a look at the risk of rejection. We've looked at some things that I guess sound surprising to people that we're looking at it. These are things that normally our tribe, the, the Pentecostal tribe, we have been known as people, who I think, who kind of have an overly, shall we say, overly optimistic view about what God will do for us in making life as comfortable and as easy and as successful as we would like it to be. And I wonder if we need to adjust our theology, which means our view of God, to recognise that maybe, maybe we've got a concept of God that's more akin to Santa Claus than to the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, who sent his son into the world, who did not experience all of those things I just said we actually would like God to do for us. And, and this, I think this comes as a bit of a shock to people, but it's a good shock because can you imagine the culture that we would be producing in this church if we told all of the children, all of the young people who grew up in this church, that if you give your life to Christ, everything will always go well with you. Nothing wrong will ever happen. Every prayer you pray will be answered and you will experience ease and comfort and you'll always be happy. Can you imagine what would happen to the young children, the teens, the young adults who grow up in a culture of a church like that who actually then encounter reality, the real life? It wouldn't, it, not only could we imagine that it might devastate their faith, I think for those people unfortunate to have and I mean that, growing up in a church where that was the culture, it has devastated their faith for, in a large part. Now, I don't want you to hear me say life's a grind. Life's really tough. Life is going to be just one slog after another. Because if, if that's how you understand what I'm saying, you're not hearing me either. I think God allows, and dare I say it, I think God ordains that we have challenges to deal with in life. And it's in the challenges that we actually grow. We grow in our relationship with him. We grow in in ourselves as people. At the start of the year, as uh, the the pastoral team met, we we really felt God was saying, this is the year where we want to emphasize growing, like growing as as followers of Christ. And And I've said to you, The risk series that we're looking at now is highlighting one of the things that is unavoidable if you want to grow. I've also said to you that as pastor of this church, my pastoral motive, my pastoral aim here is that you come here each Sunday 
kind of with a prayer. It doesn't necessarily have to be these words, but God, help me to grow today. May, may I grow as a, as a follower of Christ because I went to church today. And if that's kind of not on your radar, if that's not in your heart, I feel like I have failed you as your pastor. So please, understand what we're about to do and what we've looked at. We've already looked at the risk that you will live a life where you may endure pain and suffering. And I think as we read through the life of Christ, we see, certainly Jesus did, this is the one we follow, right? He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. In fact, the Bible says he, he took our suffering upon himself. The, the next thing we looked at was failure, that, that in life, not everything you do will succeed. Was, uh, I went and spent a little bit of a time with one of the, the, the leaders of... Uh, community leaders in, in Launceston two, two or three weeks ago. And a part of what he does is oversees um, young sports teams, as in sports teams of young people. And he said this to me, and it really impressed me. He said, one of the things we try and train and teach into the kids is not just how to play well, but how to lose well. Now, I know that there are people who go, oh, we're going to win. It's like, you know, I, I really appreciated what he was saying because I've seen, and I've seen it up close, where young people are very ungracious. Not probably not just young people, but my, in my experience, I've I've seen this, and I've thought, don't you have a dad who can tell you, pull your head in, son, go and congratulate your opponent for playing well. I mean, we all do that, right? Do, do any mothers do that? Or was it just the dads? And so sometimes failure makes us into the people God wants us to be because we have to learn. It creates humility. It teaches you that not everything you do will necessarily succeed, and that's okay. And this is why I think sometimes if, if you have a culture where people grow up thinking everything they do will succeed, every, you know, was it The Incredibles where he says right at the end, um, they, they gave all of the kids a ribbon in the race. And he's, he, you know, if you know that, that theological movie, The Incredibles, where <laughs> his young son Dash, has, he's incredibly fast. And he's, he's having to tell his son, don't, no, 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 not too fast, not too fast, but, but win. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then he thought, well, they gave all the kids first prize ribbons anyway. And that's, I, th I think that's actually detrimental. Now, Stephen said before that there'll be some competition next Saturday at the Family Connect Night. There's an, un, there's an unhealthy competition that, that wants to pull people down so that we win. And that's not winning well. But I think we also do need to learn how to fail well by, by, by recognising we should congratulate our opponent if they do well. Um, for some of you, you know, tennis was my world for quite a time. And, and I, I'm really impressed. I, I love watching tennis. I love watching elite tennis. And... And when I see some of the, the top players in the world actually clap, you know, with their, they clap their opponent, they do a good shot. I'm thinking, this is the number one, two, three in the world, and they've learned. You can't win every point, and if, when you don't, congratulate your opponent for doing well. So I think there's some, there's some character lessons there as well. So this is what I, I think we just need to appreciate. Life is going to be full of risks. When you get up in the morning and go out your front door, you're entering into a world of risks. Here's the definition that we're using to define risk. It's something attempted with the hope of success, 
but also the possibility of failure. I think this is actually really going to be really, really good for our mental health too. The, closest, the closer we can align to reality, the way God has actually designed this world to work, is probably going to set us up for having the best mental health we can possibly have, especially when you bring God into this picture. So here's two ways to handle risk. Risk can be done without thought. It can be done without consideration. It can be done carelessly without doing your homework. I call that being impetuous. It's also hasties, the Bible word that it uses in Proverbs. Then there's another way to handle risk. And that's when we do our homework. So when the first time Kim parachuted, she, she refused to even get in the plane until the parachuter guy had shown her the buckles and the whatever, what's, in, what, what's associated with a parachute? It's a bed sheet and what else? What else, what else did you have to check? That he was going to be attached and you were going to jump out of the plane and you'll still, yeah. So, so Kim went through this thing where she really wanted to know. And to me, that's, that's just wisdom. Oh, and Amanda, you jumped as well, didn't you? You just jumped. You just didn't care. You just said, no, let's go for it. And there's the difference right there. So this is what it says in Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So what I've, I've also pointed out that sometimes we, we are hasty. I've been hasty. I've made mistakes and uh, more than I care to tell you about. And, and sometimes the tendency is, God, why did you let that happen? Uh, as, a, as a speaker, as someone who speaks in, in public, uh, as, a, as a young preacher, I remember there'd be times when I would pray, oh God, I'm about to go out in front of an audience of hundreds of people. Please don't let me say anything stupid. Please. God didn't always answer that prayer. And it's not his fault. It was me with a rush of blood who would just say something really stupid. And it's not his fault. It's my fault. So I can't shake my fist at him and say, you, I told you don't let me say something stupid. <laughs> and I did. Sorry. All right, so managing risk well involves these four principles, these four biblical principles. We can find enough biblical data to support this. Firstly, it involves wisdom, and sometimes we're looking for God to tell us precisely what to do with every decision we think we have to make. But the book of Proverbs says it's not that you need God to tell you every time you have a decision, major or minor, it's that you need wisdom wisdom to know not just what's right and wrong but what's good and not bad but also wise rather than foolish and these are things that you can learn you can learn wisdom and that's what that's what the book of proverbs is all about and the second thing we need to be able to manage risk well is humility i told you the story of jack nicholas who had won 18 majors by the time he was 47 years of age been playing golf since he was nine and it was his rhythm his habit that at the start of every season he would get his old golf coach in and say now tell me again how do you hold a club as if jack nicholas the greatest the goat of golf needs to know how to hold a club but he wanted to be humble enough 
to be taught, okay, this is how you hold the club. Humility. The, the next thing is, is to regard your failures, your past failures, the things that haven't gone well, as education. Not as humiliation, as education. And then fourthly, is to learn how to have another go based on those three things. That's called resilience. Can you see how these things play a huge role in improving mental health, improving the care of our soul, improving those things that would tend to make life seem dark, hard and awkward and hard? And if we can do these things, which are biblical things, we have a better chance of living our lives with better mental health. So taking what I call considered risks brings four benefits. I'm not sure that these benefits are possible if you don't take risks. Firstly, again, these, you know, we could support these, and as I have done in the last few sessions with Scripture, but it gives you strength and confidence. It gives you strength. When you've taken risks, some have worked, some haven't worked. You now know what doesn't work and you now know what does work. And that gives you confidence in taking risks, in taking further risks. It makes you a stronger person and that's what we want to see. We want to see each person in our church grow and become a stronger person. What if, what if the risk that you're involved with is, is a financial risk? And, and there are several people in this church who have taken enormous financial risks. Sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. I, I spoke with a businessman some time ago who's a Christian and he said to me, something happened that, that was a huge setback recently. He said, I feel, I feel dumb that I let it happen. A very, very, very experienced businessman. He said, uh, one of our properties that we, we, we let out, for some reason... I." I thought it was done, but it wasn't. We didn't get it insured. And it burnt to the ground. And, he's, and I'm, I'm looking at him like, I'm, I'm waiting for the, but it's okay because. And there was no, but it's okay because. There was none. It had cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it was gone. And there was nothing he could do about it. And I think from that, there's, there's an opportunity to learn. But also, there's an opportunity when you take those risks, that you can end up being a huge blessing. You can be a blessing. So there's that financial risk. Yeah, that could go wrong. That's why insurance is not gambling. Insurance is part of the wise taking of risks. And so can I tell you that the Tasmania celebration, our local budget is $260,000. Of that, so far, we've raised about $60,000 from churches. That's remarkable. Right there, that is remarkable. And probably the, the remainder is going to come from about four Tasmanian businessmen. And I'll tell you what, and I thank God for them. But they didn't get there without taking risks, and those risks paid off. Thirdly, the, be- the benefit of and the blessing of, of taking risks involves doing something positive to your character. I have seen business people who've taken these risks, big risks, and the stress in the midst of those risks is almost overwhelming. 
And those business people, and then I'll guarantee you now, they are, I have never met a young person who's had his character fully formed, who's gone through those things. I've never done it. I've never seen it. It takes years of going through these things, learning, especially as a Christian, learning to trust God. You go through these things and your character is developed where you live with a peace, even though you're in the midst of uncertainty, because that's what risk is all about. And I want each of us to have, no matter what big or small risks we're taking, we use the principles of wisdom to take them and we understand that these are the benefits that come from it. It will enhance and enrich our character. I'll give you a little example. You might be able to relate to this far more than being a big-time property investor or developer. There have been times when I have been down to, you know, just the way, you know, you, 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 the money for that week or whatever and gets down and then someone turns up unannounced, unexpected and we, we uh, may have taken them out for lunch or something like that. Now this is such a small thing, but just work with me here. And so we've made a decision, yep, we'll take them out for lunch. It's at a, at a cost to us. And I'm thinking, how am I, I've got things to do through, how am I going to cope with the week now that I've just done that? And I have discovered, and I can't explain it to you, but this is a fact, I'm, I'm telling you, this has been my experience. God has honoured that kind of thing, showing it's, being, it's called showing hospitality. And in taking that risk of taking someone out for you know, what I call hospitality, we haven't gone without. God has provided. And I think as a church we've done that too. We've taken huge steps like that as well. And here's the thing that I hope you hear today in looking at the risk of rejection, which is what we're going to look at in a moment is that by taking certain risks, it brings love and this beautiful word, belonging, into your life. If there's something I also hope happens today, is I hope there's a little that happens where you go, I think I've found where I belong. And there is a tremendous security that comes from that. God has brought each of us together to be a family and we've come from different parts of the world we've come from different church cultures we've come from different original languages English for, for many of you here right now is not your mother tongue it's not your heart language for some of you you are bilingual trilingual uh, for some of us you're not even lingual this is the third installment in the risk series dealing with the risk of rejection but the reward is a sense of acceptance reconciliation friendship and here's that word belonging as well here's why if you do life you are likely to experience rejection you run the risk of rejection because people are likely to reject you, your work, your ideas, your perspective, and your advice. Um, I'm not just talking to parents now. I'm talking to everyone. But I, I was thinking about this, that 
maybe I should at, the, at that point have said parents of teenagers because I don't know, something clicks. I don't know, they go from 12 to 13 where at 12, everything you say is pretty good. Then they turn 13 and it's like you haven't got a clue. You know nothing. You can't be on your phone for more than half an hour a day. Oh, you know nothing. All my friends are on there for 12 hours a day. They even use it during their sleep at night and they're fine. Nothing wrong with them. Parents. But it's not just for parents. It's for human beings, of which I'm pretty sure most of you are. All of us are. So here's the thing about rejection. It's quite quite surprising when you look at the life of Christ, how much he had to deal with rejection how much he spoke about rejection and how much he warned his disciples about rejection. So let me see if I can make that case. This is John 1.10 where John says he's the creator. He opens up by saying Christ created everything and then he came to those people that he created and it says he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, which is an idiom, a word expression for saying they rejected him. So rejection is one of the most painful. So if you are that one unique person who has learned not to take rejection personally, could you see me after the service? I'd like to get a copy of DNA and inject it into me because I'd like that would be awesome to not be, um, you know, well, okay, I'll tell you, you know, looking for blankie and a corner after I've been through that experience. All right, so here's unresolved rejection. It's like, don't take it personally. You've criticised me, my work, my opinion, my, you know, like, of course I'm going to, we're all going to take it personally. So if you are that one unique person who has learned not to take rejection personally. Could you see me after the service? I'd like to get a copy of DNA and inject it into me because I'd like that'd be awesome to not be, um, you know, well, okay, I'll tell you, you know, looking for blankie and a corner after I've been through that experience. All right, so here's unresolved rejection can lead to these things. And this is, this just shows you the pain that many of us have already gone through, but it's also, it also gives us an insight into the, the people that we want to reach in our city because Christ loves them. And sometimes they don't look like they want to be loved. So this is what happens when someone has experienced rejection. They can socially withdraw. They just don't want to be around people. Why? Because to them, people hurt. People reject, people hurt, I'm better off not interacting with people. If that is your world, and quite probably you're not here in this building right now because you're probably somewhat withdrawn from people and thank God for our various live streams. But at some point, if you have the possibility of connecting with real life human beings, you should and I hope I encourage you to do that. So it can also, unresolved rejection can also lead to a bitter soul. A bitter soul where you're angry and you're vengeful toward those who've hurt you. 
And maybe it doesn't look like that, but what I've found is that sometimes the person who's experienced rejection in whatever way and however it's been done, whether it's been you've been fired from your job or maybe you've put in a, a job application and it wasn't accepted or maybe you've put in a paper at, at, um, in the university exams and it got marked down, whatever, whatever, whatever that thing is, that sometimes it can cause us to become so bitter toward people generally, especially people who, who maybe have what in your mind might be power that you don't have. Unresolved rejection can also lead to insecurity. It can lead to insecurity. I, I found a very, very odd thing that sometimes the most insecure people are often gregarious and outgoing. It, it's, it doesn't make sense to me, but they are often the life of the party. They are the gregarious ones. In other words, they're loud. They enter the room with hands waving and big hellos and all the rest of it. Not always. I'm, I'm not saying that every person who does that is necessarily battling with insecurity, but it's been my experience that surprisingly a lot have. Very insecure. And, and what happens is when, when you're insecure and you're rejected it leads to a critical spirit where there's there's just negativity about just about everyone so unresolved rejection can cause a bitter soul and it can cause a critical soul as well and unresolved rejection can lead to this tragedy a sense in which you doubt now where you belong some of the, the stories that children are told sound like cute little stories. We might call them fairy tales or we might, these sorts of things. That, and they have profound points. Nearly all of them have profound points. The story of the ugly duckling is a profound story that relates to this topic. Maybe you have grown up feeling like that ugly duckling. There's all the ducklings. They look like something. And there's you. You're a ball of fluff. You don't look normal. Your neck's a little bit longer than theirs. They go quack, you go honk. You know, those sort of differences. And maybe the other ducklings sort of don't feel like you belong either. And maybe they call you things and treat you in a way and say things about you. That just exacerbates that sense of, I don't belong here. But then one day, you see swans flying. And you go, wish I could do that. And then as the time goes by, you look at your reflection in the water. You know the story, right? And the, what was thought to be the ugly duckling realises it was never an ugly duckling ever. It was a swan. And a beautiful swan. And I, I, I hope that we get a sense, because that's what belonging does. And it, and it left, the, left the pond and it went to the air to be with the other swans. And it, it, it became aware of where it belonged. That's why, just as I digress now, that's why it's really important for parents to create a home out of their house. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the only difference between a house and a home is one is where you belong. And you belong in, a, in your home, but it's not the material, it's the people. I hope we get that. So Jesus was accustomed to being rejected. The prophet Isaiah said this, he, speaking of it as, as, as having happened, yet it was prophetically future, he described Christ as he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus told his disciples, I will be rejected. He said this, saying, the Son of Man, that's how he described himself more often than not, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We see that the disciples became aware of the amount of rejection that Jesus dealt with. We read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So rejection was, was a part of what Christ experienced when he walked the earth. But before that, his father, who had formed a covenant with Israel, he experienced rejection when Israel rejected him. And writing or communicating to Samuel the prophet, who felt a failure because he had tried to bring people back to full surrender to God, and they said, we don't want God, we want a king. And God said this to Samuel, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. But not only had they rejected God, Jeremiah the prophet says, they rejected everything God said. Here, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. By the way, here, O earth, whenever the, the Israelite prophet said that, they were referring to the earth, the land of Israel. The fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. They rejected God, he told Samuel the prophet. They rejected his law, Jeremiah the prophet declared. And here's why, as a Christian you are actually going to be more prone to rejection than the average person. About this point, I probably should not be giving the older call to come to Christ because I haven't sold it well, but I'm actually not selling anything. I'm trying to reveal reality to you. If you become a Christian, you are going to be more prone to rejection. Why? Because we follow a rejected saviour. We walk in blood-stained footprints when we follow Jesus, a rejected saviour. But he wasn't rejected by all. Not everyone rejected him. There were those who C.S. Lewis describes in Mere Christianity who have come to realise reality. They've come to see reality. And they've come to see their own condition of heart as desperately as Ross prayed before desperately wicked in need of forgiveness and cleansing and for those people c.s lewis says in mere christianity the message of a savior makes sense 
because they can see their need for it. And so there were people who didn't reject Jesus. And while we read on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 people turned to Christ, there would have been over 200,000 people listening to Peter. But 3,000 turned to Christ. And so as believers, as followers of Christ, if you are looking for public acceptance and lots of likes on your Instagram post and if that's what floats your boat and makes you feel like a worthwhile human being, you are deluded. I know, amen, right? Jesus warned his followers that because they follow him, they would be rejected. He said this in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, he told his disciples, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So Jesus said, people will reject you because you follow me. And I know it's hard to believe that most, most religions claim Jesus was a really cool guy. Most radical environmentalists claim Jesus was a, a really cool guy. Most people who say there is no God still say Jesus was a really cool guy. But they just don't like what he said. So therefore, some people are going to reject you for spiritual reasons. For no other reason than the fact that you are a follower of Christ. You may never aggravate them by what you do, aggravate them by what you say, wish them any evil or, or harm, and yet they will for some reason not like you because there is a light that shines out of you into their dark heart and whenever you shine a bright light into someone's eyes, it can be a reaction. And so just be, be prepared for that. We read in Luke 9 verse 5, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Here's what Jesus is saying, and he modelled this. People will reject you. They're not your audience. Don't let them get to you. This expression, a Hebrew idiom, shake off the dust from your sandals, is like saying, they're not my people. I don't belong there. That's not what I'm here for. Don't let, don't let the, the girls your age, girls, who want to say nasty things about your appearance, be your audience. They're not your audience. If you want to know how pretty you are, ask your dad before you leave the house in the morning. He'll tell you the truth. And what is that truth? You're not as pretty as your mum. See me after the service. I'll give you a little script. The script goes like this. You look just as beautiful as your mother. Father of three daughters here. I've worked it out, Pete. You need to get with the program. <laughs> you look beautiful. And fathers need to tell their daughters that. So that when the silly twits who are their own age and their own gender say, oh, they have enough confidence in what their dad has said to know those girls, they're silly twits. Okay, so, we, so that's what Jesus said. 
don't, they're not, don't let them shape you. And so we read in Acts that, that Luke, who also wrote that thing in Luke, he said this about the apostles. They applied what Jesus said. Paul and Barnabas preached and they were rejected. And then it says this, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Or, yeah, Iconium. And so it's a way of saying, don't let it get to you. They're not, they're, they're, that's not your audience. All right. So here's where you, you, you run the risk of being rejected. These are high risk zones in life. When you're trying to develop friendships, you run the risk of being rejected. Secondly, when you start a new job in your workplace, I hope that every young person, every young adult in this church learns the principles that I'm going to share with you in a moment called the principles of winsomeness. But in, in the workplace. Thirdly, if you're in sales, are there any people who sell stuff? Oh, do you sell shoes? You're in the shoe business. Have you ever done your best? Yes, madam, that is so you. And they've said, no thanks. Happens all the time. You just got to move on. They're not your audience. They're not your customer either, by the way. But that salespeople have to learn to deal with rejection. You have to. And the clever salesman, like for example, sorry to disappoint you, Heidi, I bought a new pair of shoes from the store across the road from you, Neil Pitts, because you don't have size 15 whatevers. I actually went to your store and she said, I'm sorry, we don't have that size. And she did. <laughs> so I went across to Neil Pitts. So I'm, I'm looking for a, Italian leather shoes, really nice clod hoppers, sorry. And, and, and they'd sold, like, Mr. Pitt, Don Pitt, uh, you, you walked into the store that day. And he said, sorry, we're out, but, but try these. So I did, I tried these on. I said, and he said, no, look, they're not, they're not the full-on business shoe, but just try them. So I'd already rejected, like I wasn't going to buy any because he didn't have it in stock. So I put these on and I stood up, I said, you blighter, now look what you've done. These are actually really comfortable. And then he said this, well, is it about looks or is it about comfort? <laughs> He read me like a book, Heidi, read me like a book. I'm not going to tell you whether I bought them or not, but gee, they're comfortable. <laughs> if you are a political candidate, you run the risk of rejection. And, fifth point, if you're going to share your faith in Christ, the sinless one and the sin taker, if you're going to share your faith in him and why others need to put their faith and trust in him, you also are going to run the risk of rejection as well. And I hope God gives you the wisdom to be able to process that as well. So here's what I want to talk about. This is where I'm bringing up the home stretch now. The power of winsomeness. The power of winsomeness. And it's based on this verse. Proverbs 11.30. I remember hearing this verse as a young man when I was growing up in um, the church and this was used as an evangelism verse. This was used to encourage people to win souls to Christ. 
So it says, the fruit of the righteous is like a tree producing life. The one who wins souls is wise. But here's the problem. This is Old Testament. This is the book of Proverbs. There was no evangelism. There wasn't any soul winning encouragement in the Old Testament. So what on earth does it mean, he who wins souls is wise? To win a soul is to get to know someone and win their heart, that you are someone who really cares for them. He who wins souls is wise. And this is a king speaking to his heir. This is David speaking to Solomon. He who wins souls is wise. This is, here's another thing that based on this winsomeness thing. Winsomeness is being polite and nice and caring and courteous to people. That's winsomeness. Say it in a nice way. You can say hard things in a soft way. That's winsomeness. So if I was to ask you this question, just give me words that describe what God is like. Give me some words, please. Kind, thank you. And? Loving and? Patient and? Just, yep. Faithful. Here's the thing. Winsomeness is all of those words. God is a winsome God. He wins us. When you get to know him, he will win you because you will be besotted by how faithful, how patient, how kind, how loving, how good, how beautiful he is. That's winsomeness. We worship him. And here's the principle of worship. You become like what you worship. Become like that. So strive to be a virtuous follower of Christ. This is what winsomeness is all about. And all of those words we just heard, you contributed, they are virtues. They are parts of being a virtuous person. So here's, here's the thing that I, I really want you to get. I mentioned that insecurity can really play on someone who experiences rejection. But if you know Christ, you belong with Christ. He is your audience. We have an audience of one. And here's the thing. If we were to continue on in the opening chapter of uh, John, we would read, to, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to them they become the children, the sons and daughters of God. And that's where you belong. I'm going to be back in a moment. And we're going to pray, and I want to pray for you that you can indeed learn how to process this. And maybe, surprisingly, what I've said may indeed, maybe, help others to want to come to know Christ as well. And I'll be praying for you as well. And as we worship that God that we just described and we, we just sang about Him, we become like that. Kind, compassionate, loving, patient, even with those who reject us. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to represent you well. Father, may we draw closer to you and behold you. Behold you. That, Lord, we would be transformed by our, our vision of beholding you. And, Lord, I pray for those who have never found that peace with you, perhaps joining with us online now, perhaps in this room right now. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away, a prayer that invites God to come into your life. A prayer that invites God to forgive you of your sin, 
those things that you've done that you're ashamed of and you know you're guilty of. You're just one prayer away, a prayer, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee your life will be different from this point on. And now, Lord, we really do want to know you. We want to know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we've heard tonight when we are rejected, we run the risk of losing a sense of belonging. The good news is that we follow a rejected saviour. Jesus knows better than anyone what it is to be rejected. And so we can follow his example in handling rejection. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the risk of parenting. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.